Wow, that was pretty awesome. What a hope that we have in Jesus. What a life that we have in Jesus. Well, good morning. My name is Jared Irvine, and I'm the junior high pastor, filling in for our senior pastor, John. Him and his wife enjoyed a lovely vacation in Oregon, and he's going to be back in the pulpit next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. And then the following week is the most important day in the Christian calendar, Easter, on April 17. Don't miss it. So last week we finished up the series in Joshua. So what's this week? Well, this week we're actually we're going to be looking in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, 7 through 4, 11. And we're actually going to see that Joshua's name is mentioned and the theme of the promised land is prominent in this, in this passage. He's going to be using the Israelites in the wilderness period as a negative example. That something that we should not emulate. We should not follow what they did in, in their unbelief and then they died in the wilderness and actually didn't get to enter into God's promised land. But rather we should have faith and if we have faith, if we unite ourselves to Christ, then we will actually enter into his promised land, his, his future for us. His rest is what he's going to say. So this passage is a warning. It wakes us up. And it's encouraging because it shows us what is ahead, what we can enter into. So I feel like we can be tired. Maybe some of you might even want to give up. Throwing the towel maybe on faith. COVID has beat you up. Politics keeps beating you up. This war in Ukraine has got you crying out. Confused about what's going on in this world. You might be afraid of ridicule. Maybe you got work drama, family drama. You got health issues. There could be a lot of things dragging you down. And it's easy to assimilate. It's easy to give in. We like, as humans, we like the path of least resistance. And this faith journey that we're on and living in this world is not easy. It's the difficult way. So you might be tired and you might be willing to give up and to give in. Well, if you are maybe this morning feeling that way, you're human. And the book of Hebrews was written to a people persecuted, harassed, and actually were feeling like the temptation to just, is it worth it? Is it worth the trouble? Is it worth keeping going? Because it's so easy just give it up. It's so easy just give in, assimilate, forget about this whole thing. Well, our author this morning, he wrote this book to encourage to warn Christians and to encourage them that this is worth the fight. This is worth the fight. And so I hope that we hear Paul's words, and this is so encouraging, in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light 
and momentary affliction. This is how, I mean, Paul's life, you, you know enough to know what he went through, right? He's calling this life a light momentary affliction. But this is because he's comparing this with something else. He's saying it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. There's nothing that you can compare to what's in store if you hang on. There's nothing compared to the weight, the eternal weight of glory. And so our author this morning, he's going to encourage us, he's going to challenge us, he's going to warn us that we need to persist in this faith that we have. There's just too much at stake. So this morning what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be looking at Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 first. This is the psalm actually, Psalm 95, and he's going to use this section for all his major vocabulary, his major themes. He's basically using this psalm, and the rest of what he's going to say is based on this psalm. And he's going to quote it four different times. And so this is, a very, this is in his mind. He's, he's read this psalm, he's, he's embedded it in his heart, and now he's going to use it to challenge and to inspire us. So I'm going to read it as part of our introduction before we look at the next two sections, which is what he wants us to respond rightly and then what we get to receive. So Psalm 95, but we're going to quote it in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. He says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, I just want to take one second. This is a psalm, right? He could have maybe attributed to David, though Psalm 95 is not attributed to David, but this is what he's saying. This is not just a human who wrote Psalm 95. This is scripture. This is God's holy word. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So we'll see, he's going to not only quote this four different times, but the word heart is going to be very important. What kind of heart do we have? Are we going to have a hard heart? Are we going to have a receptive heart towards God? And then this idea of rest, this idea of rest is going to be really important for this, for the author here. So our main point this morning is responding in faith is the way to enter God's rest. Responding in faith is the way to enter God's rest. And so our first point, our sub point here is respond rightly. We need to respond rightly to God's word. And we see this in Hebrews 3, 12 through 19. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened, by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so this is a, this is a warning passage to the people to not imitate Israel in the wilderness. Don't do that. It's a negative example, and sometimes those can be very positive in our life. You see something that's negative, okay, don't, don't copy that. Don't do that. Let's do something else. And so, why? Because they did not respond rightly to God's word. Instead of being receptive, they, it says they had a hard heart towards him. They had a self-will, not following God, not being receptive to him, not trusting in him, not obeying him but saying, I want to do what I think is best. And so that's hardening your heart towards God. Not saying, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. That's not the kind of heart they had. They didn't have that receptive heart. And so then what happened to them? Well, the consequence was that was they died in the wilderness. That's very sad, right? They didn't get to enter into God's promise for them. God had this great thing in store for them. God promised that he was going to deliver them from Egypt, from the house of slavery, and then bring them into the promised land and deliver them from all the nations that were there. That's what God promised that he was going to do. All they had to do was trust in him, follow him, obey him, to devote their life to him. And they, they didn't believe him. They did not trust his word. They thought they were gonna, God was just going to lead them into the wilderness to kill them. They didn't trust his goodness. They didn't believe his word. And because of that, they got what they thought that God was going to do. They, they got death instead. They died in the wilderness. And they did not get to enter because of their unbelief. And here's this concern that the author has for us today, that we can do the very same thing. That we can fall away from the living God. That we could be a people with an evil, unbelieving heart. A heart that's not receptive to him. That doesn't trust him. That doesn't believe in the promises that he has actually said to us. And we can do it our own way. And he's saying... This morning that if we, we do that, we follow the example of Israel, we will experience the same thing they did. We won't be able to enter into what God has, what God has promised, what God has for us in the future. And it's this, this thing in 3.13 that he calls the deceitfulness of sin. And our forefathers, right, Adam and Eve, they were deceived into sin. And we can do the very same thing. And then that leads us to falling away from the living God, this God who is the source of everything that's good. And so how, what can we do? What does, does the author give us any help here? And he does. It's really applicable to us. 
who are in this room. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but it's, it's be part of God's community. Be part of his church. Because he says in 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. As long as you have life and you can say today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so, look, being in a community, a, a faith community, Jesus community, this is essential to human growth, to Christian growth, for, for staying in the favor of God, right? Because without it, we could be deceived by sin. And so the Lone Ranger does not exist, right? God does not want us to be by ourselves here, but actually to be draw close to one another. Because we need one another. Because we can be deceived by sin, just like our, our forefathers were in if we don't think so, why do we have such a high view of ourselves? Because the Bible does not have that high view of us. It says we are prone to sin. We are prone to wander. We are prone to go astray. To think that our way is better or to not think about what God has for us and to just do that. Well, what do we need? We need people to see our blind spots. And how else do you have that except to have people in your life that are both pursuing Christ and that can help you and direct you in your life. And so it would exhort you from Hebrews 3 here is to be part of his community. And yeah, maybe I'm preaching to the choir because you're sitting here this morning. And I get there's a lot of things that are, are great in our culture. And I said this last week, but we, we do live in an age of distraction. But I, hear the warning from Hebrews this morning, is there anything more important than your soul? Is there anything more important than that? And so look at what we could do if we let sin deceive us by being a lone ranger or not being a part of his community. We could be drawn away and we could not enter into God's rest. And he is speaking to Christians here because in 3.14 he says, if we've come to share in Christ. But then he says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so this is part of responding rightly, is continuing in faith. We have to persist in our faith. See, true faith is not intellectual assent where I, I profess I believe in God, but does my life show it? Do I live it out daily? And faith is proven over time by whether we're faithful to God. And so we're not to be like the Israelites who heard the gospel in a sense, right? Heard that God's going to deliver them from, from sin, from Egypt, from slavery, and is going to bring them into the promised land. But we're supposed to live that out, to obey him, trust him at his word, and have faith. And if we respond rightly to his word, because he wants to give us his rest. And so, point number two is receive rest. And this is in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. We're going to just pick out a couple of things in here. But the author seems to have this thing, this cultural phenomena called FOMO. Promise I'm not cussing. That's not a, it means fear of missing out. Do you guys have that? Anyone have that? You don't have to raise your hand. 
If you are, you're probably looking at your phone right now. Uh, because what this, what social media has really heightened this, but it's this fear that there's something going on out there in the world somewhere. And I don't know about it, but I need to know about it. And so you end up, you know, you're, you have this fear, this anxiety, like what's going on? I need, I don't want to miss out on, on any of this. And so the book of Hebrews, the author seems to have this FOMO for us. He doesn't want us to miss out on what God has for us. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. This rest is still available. So, okay, what are we talking about here? Because in context, you know, he's talking about the people of Israel and the wilderness and entering the promised land. So I thought that's the rest of God. I thought that's what he was talking about, the promised land, right? But we're far from that. I mean, because in the book of Joshua, which we just saw, the people, the people of Israel, uh, they follow Joshua and they actually get to enter the promised land. And then in chapter 11, at the end of it, as Pastor John read a couple of weeks ago, they experienced rest. So isn't that what he's talking about? But Hebrews 4.1 just says it's still available to us. Because, I mean, that's a long time ago from this author, and then even further for us today. So how, how is this possible? What is, what's he talking about? What's this rest he's talking about? In 4.8, he says, and we're going to see that, Name Joshua, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So it's not just the promised land here. That's not what God's ultimate rest is. Now, it's very true that the people in Joshua's day did experience a rest. But that's not God's ultimate rest. That's a foretaste of the greater one yet to come. And we make this argument, and this is a very complicated argument, and I'm going to try to summarize it, okay? Hebrews 4.4 quotes from Genesis 2.2. And it says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So, it's a time thing. So, six works... First six days of creation, God worked, right? The seventh day, he rested. That rest is a real rest. And the people of God are to, ex to have access to that rest. So Joshua is after all of that, way after that. And they experienced a rest. But that's not God's ultimate rest because it already existed. It's already existed in time way before Joshua and his crew entered into the promised land. And then in the book of Hebrews, or in actually in Psalm 95, the book of Hebrews thinks that's a real invitation. That God is actually still offering his rest to his people. And then in the book of Hebrews, that rest still stands. And this morning, we can still say God's rest is still available. He's given us access to his rest. So, what are we talking here? Well, it, in the Bible, it goes by many different names. The kingdom of God, the city of God, the heavenly country, the new Jerusalem, heaven. It's God's 
presence. What we just sung about, like the 10,000 angels. It's God. That's God's sphere. That's God's eternal dwelling. That's his rest. And that's what he wants to give humanity access to. That's what we are created for. That's the goal of our soul is to dwell in communion with him forever. And so this world is not the fullness of the kingdom of God, right? We know that. We've seen the news. We, we've seen our own hearts. We know it's, it's entirely broken, but yet God has promised to renew it, right? To recreate it. This is new creation talking here. And when he begun, we're going to, you know, celebrate this on Easter. Jesus is the first fruits of God's new creation, that now, everything after that, this is entirely new. And God is going to renew everything. And in Revelation 21.5, he says this. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And in Revelation 21.1-4, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the rest of the story of the Bible. That's what God is giving to us. That's the future. That's what's coming. And so what we have to do in order to access that is to put our faith in Jesus, to unite ourselves with him. And as the author of Hebrews says, we have to persist in it. We have to keep believing. I don't want to quote Journey, but don't stop believing. Don't, we can't stop believing, right? We have to keep going as hard as this world can be and as much pressure as there is. Do we see the future? See, God is so merciful. Not only is he going to give us that, which we don't deserve, but he gives us a picture of it and says, this is your future. And going back to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, this is an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs, that there's nothing you can compare to this. Our little life and the trouble that's in, there's real trouble, but the trouble that it is, it's, it's nothing compared to what we're going to experience in heaven with the Lord. And so what do we do in the meantime? There's these two let us passages, and I think they work well together in this section. You have 4.1, which says, let us fear. Let us fear. Have this reverence for God. It has to start with that our hearts bow to him, that we give our life to him. It's, it's this faith uniting to him and, and responding to him rightly. And then it says in 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. We have to be faithful and obedient to him. And the sense that we have to strive means that this is a future reality. We haven't received yet the full promise of God. It's already begun in Jesus Christ. And now we wait for the fullness of it. 
the completion of it. But until that day, we keep going. We keep trusting in him. That, putting that one foot in front of the other. And as long as there is today, right? This word today occurs. Today, if you hear his voice. And then 13, if you exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. This means we still have time. We still have time. But there's no guarantee about tomorrow. That's why he's only talking about today. And if you're drifting away from the Lord, there's still time. There's still today. If you're in just full rebellion against him, there's still time. There's still today. But this, this eternal rest, this offer that God has graciously given to us doesn't last forever. Because there's one of two things that can happen, right? We die and the Lord returns. But if we have today, we have to make that choice. And if we've heard the call, if we responded rightly in faith to him, and if we continue in our faith, we believe that we will enter into God's rest, which is what he wants for each one of us. But unfortunately, if we harden our heart, if we, don't refu- if we refuse to listen to the Lord, if we reject him in our life, this is what the author and what God doesn't want us to do. We will imitate the Israelites and we will die in the wilderness, separated from him forever. So the question is, where, where will we be? Will we be with him or will we miss out? And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, never dedicated your life to him, the invitation is today to do that. And after our service today, you could speak to me, speak to any sister or brother in Christ that would, they would love to share the love of Christ with you and, and what you can do to receive that. So, Grace, don't harden your hearts. And if you're tired, there's rest coming. If you're sad, there's joy coming. If you're upset about the way that things are in this world, there's justice coming. If you're mourning, there's comfort coming. And if you're dying, there's life coming. And soon, very soon, we're going to see God and enter into his blessed rest forevermore. And that's worth fighting for. That's worth keeping going, one foot after another. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He invites us to come to the table. And this morning we get to have a time of communion together. So if you have your elements, take them out, please. Jesus provides for us. And he's forgiven us our rebellion through his body sacrificed on the cross for us. And then he's given us the Holy Spirit that's changed our stony hearts 
and in fact is the guarantee, the down payment that we're going to participate in God's ultimate rest, in God's ultimate future. That we have this perfect communion and relationship with him because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And this is how we enter. So everyone enters into his rest. It's through the body broken for us on the cross and through his blood poured out for us. And through his victorious resurrection, this resurrection life of which Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. And then those who put their life in Christ is no longer what we once were. We now are a new creation in Christ. And that's good news because that means if we're new creations, then we're going to participate in the great new creation. But it's through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, his broken body and his blood poured out. And as always, we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 11. And it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All of you, take and eat. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All of you, take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now we're going we're gonna to close in a final song. In Christ alone. And as we just partook together as one, as a family, as a preview of God's heaven, worshiping together, joyful fellowship, the first line is, in Christ alone, my hope is found. That's our hope. And as we sang right before the sermon, that's our living hope. So praise be to the one who died and rose for us.